0: This week, an hour thing.
1: An opinionated young woman surrounded by secrets and dreams and jealousy, but through it all, there's this underlying curiosity about Joseph and his past and his God.
0: Prodigy author Abby Allison provides new dimension to scriptural accounts. And then you pull it together and you close big deals, and then those commission checks
2: are 15k or 150k.
0: And sales visionary Mike Simmons shares his methodology for success. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This. This is Our Thing with everyone's favorite ex-gangster. Gunner
3: Gunner Gunner, 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 What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing. I am your host, author Gunner Allen Lindblom, joined by my partner in crime, Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime podcast. Make sure to check out his podcast wherever podcasts are consumed. Make sure to check out partners n prime It's pretty easy to find. Welcome back to another show. Got a couple interesting guests this week. One is a sales professional executive author, and the guy's done a little bit of everything. He'll be on later. Our other guest is a young girl named Abigail, or Abby Allison, really smart, young adult writer, 19-year-old, super smart, one of those rare savants, you meet him in life funny cute she's
0: the whole package she's a fun interview people are gonna like it
3: yeah she's a sweetheart i enjoy it. so we'll have fun you know you know i recently started a company called white Pine publishing consultants right me and my wife started it. and Bill's help with it and i'm gonna give you a little history on that one of the things that most people don't know the average listener who just listens in to hear about books or hear about the stories behind the books or the author's story most people don't know the tumultuous and predatory industry of publishing and book marketing. It's super scammy, man. And I legitimately will tell you that 99 out of 100 quote, self publishers are scams. And I mean, only one out of 100 is like me and my wife. We actually do what we say we're going to do, do a good job at doing it, and we do it. The other ones are scams. They want you to pay a bunch of money up front. Anywhere from 4000 to $50,000. I mean, it's unbelievable. I just got off the phone with a client that I signed on that somebody told them they'll publish his seven books for $55,000, right? And that person was probably legit, but that's because you get what you pay for. Like if that was a legit person, that's how much good can cost. Another guy I know, he spent a fortune, many, many thousands of dollars. And the thing is, what I found is, here's the business, the industry. Bill, feel free to interrupt or ask anything if you have the inclination. But what happens is, Self publishers—they trick people. There's, here's the tricks that they do. The first trick that they do is say, "We're going to publish your book. We want to keep twenty percent of your royalties because we're the publisher." Okay, that's one thing you can negotiate. That two, we're going to get you in bookstores. Here's how they get you in bookstores: they have a deal worked out with every year that you self-publishing company. and say, "I'll give you, you know, five thousand dollars to the store if you'll put an author's book, one book." on one shelf for one day. That way they can legally claim that they got you in. But what they really do is they take it down after a day, which they likely probably never even put it up there. But if they do, they take it down after a day, then they put it in the back, and your book goes on a list. So if somebody walks in and says, I'm here for this book, they'll have one in the back or they can order it, do it like you would Amazon. So that's the scam number one. The latest scam that I found with several authors is they're promising not movie deals to say, we're going to shop it. We're going to turn this into a screenplay. And we have these producers, this guy, that guy, this guy, and they have a couple of guys that agree to put their name on the line, you know, and say, the guy's got a couple of IMDB credits, you know, co-producer on some movie 12 years ago. And now he's on IMDB and this guy's a producer now looking for scripts. But we're going to turn your book into a script and we're going to shop it to the movies in Hollywood or whatever, what they really do is take your raw manuscript and upload it through AI and it pumps out a very bad script, right? And the script is bad. It's 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 bad. It's so bad that no one's ever going to look at it or read it. And so if you go to like major publishers, agents, producers, if you go to their websites, literally there's a bold print warning, all AI submissions will be rejected. First thing it says, first words, and that's because they're bad. AI cannot create a script or a book like a human can create. That's the other scam. And I think this is probably the worst scam of all is that they tell authors that they're gonna edit and proof the book. So they get the author thinking, all right, I know I'm probably gonna need some editing and proofing for the record. Every author in the world needs professional third-party editing and proofing. You just can't do it yourself. You're too close to the story. You just can't. Now, I mean, I don't care if you're Sidney Sheldon or John Grisham. He still hands his book to the publisher. Publisher puts it through a couple of levels of editing, then a proofer, then they publish it. So the people who think they're going to do it themselves, I wrote it myself. I think I did a pretty good job. I don't think it really needs editing. I'm like, it does, bro. I'm just being honest. As a professional, I'm telling you it's going to need editing.
0: Yeah, because we know, like we read other people's stuff and there's typos out the yin yang. I'm not going to see my mistake. I'm the guy. That made it. I missed it the first time. I'm gonna miss it the second time. A fresh set of eyes always picks up like a bunch of stuff.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. You need it. So you have to have that. It's part of the publishing game. If you think you're going to publish a book without having professional editing, third-party editing, you're out of your mind and you're gonna fail. The problem is that authors, as they write a story, it all makes sense to them because it's from their mind. So they know exactly what it means, where it's going, who's what. It all makes perfect sense. So they write it down, and go oh, it's perfect. Now check it out. And the odds are. 90% of the time, 90 that's nine out of 10 times, it doesn't make sense. It's very confusing. It jumps around. That's what I call hiccups. There's all these problems, right? That's where an editor comes in and fixes it, right? They just don't realize that it doesn't make sense because it's in their mind. And I'm the same way. I'm one of those perfectionists with my books where I'll go through my book 8, 10, 12 times to try and make it perfect and as perfect as I can get it. Then I'll hand it to you, Bill and you'll find 100, 200 errors, 300, and even some suggestions that make sense. Probably 9 out of 10 of your suggestions make sense, and I polish. Then I'll hand it to my wife, and she'll proof it a couple times, and then we're done, right? So that's the thing. When these self-publishing companies say, we're going to publish your book for $4,000, I'm not joking. This is exactly what they do. They take a book. They go to some kid in India and say, we'll give you twenty dollars to run this manuscript through a spell check, grammar check, AI software. And the kid in India is like, oh, this is cool. I can do this in 10 minutes. So they upload it to the software, boom, boom, boom. And it fixes probably 80% of the just blatant typos. There's still 20%, but it doesn't fix the syntax errors. It doesn't fix the grammar errors. It doesn't fix the formatting. Then the publisher just uploads it to Amazon. It says, congratulations, you're a published author now. Good job, well done. And then what happens is you got to market it yourself. And if you're trying to market yourself, it's very, very hard, unless you have like a a marketing manager like myself. And then let's say you start selling a few five, 10 books and all of a sudden people are reading it, go this book is poorly written, poorly structured. It's got bad grammar, bad syntax, typos all over the place. So they're not going to finish it. They're going to get 5, 10 pages in and it goes, I can't read this. This is too hard to read. I don't even know where he's going with this. This is stupid. And then they're going to leave a bad review saying this book was poorly edited, bad syntax and grammar. Don't buy this book. Now, the first few, they might take down because you can complain about it. And say this is bad. But if it's one after another after another, then you're not going to sell books. You're never going to sell any books. You know, So you really wasted your money. So what you need is a professional that's going to look at it and go, this is what your book needs. And then they will do it, right? So me and my wife, we started White Pine Publishing Consultants really to help people avoid these scams where you can hire us to do it. And not only that, but you actually are the publisher. Where these other companies and you quote self-publish, it's not a self-publish. It's a paid publish. You're paying them to publish your book and they are keeping some of the royalties. And a few of them might not keep royalties because they just don't care. If you give them 4000 up front and they have literally an hour's worth of work into it with the kid in India, they make 4000 thousand Easy money. For us, we're actually doing the work and we're going through, we're editing, we're publishing, we're proofing, we're formatting, we're publishing, we're uploading. But whatever the case is, these publishing scams, they're mind-blowing just at the amount of money people waste on these things. I feel so bad for the authors. You know, they, they just get taken advantage of. And That's really the reason, you know, that we started White Pine Publishing Consultants to help people avoid these scams and pitfalls. And the other thing is, I am the social media marketing manager for books, authors, And I'm really good at that. So God bless those people who are actually honestly trying to do honest, legit marketing. But more times than not, they're scams. You give them 50 bucks and they'll make like two posts on Facebook and you'll never hear from them again. They're happy to get 50 bucks. You know, that's a lot of money to them. That's the like equivalent of like 500 over here, 50 bucks. And they're like, boom, I'm out. And that's the other scam about these self-publishing companies. I see them all the time on Facebook now because I actually click on some of them. I warn people, watch it. These are scams. They'll do a scam. They'll have like some nerdy 50-year-old white dude with glasses, bald-headed. You know, and say, I'll publish your book for $300. And then when you call them, it's some dude in India. All they're doing most of the time, nine times out of 10, they'll run that sponsored ad on Facebook for a week. They'll get all your money. They might get six, seven suckers to pay $300. And then all they do is delete the ad and vanish. They keep the money. So you don't get nothing. It's a a con. Or they just say, send us your manuscript. They upload it to Amazon KDP, Kindle Direct. And then they walk away and say, you're an author now. Congratulations. And like you have this horrible raw manuscript that doesn't belong anywhere near published. And so you're never going to sell any books anyway. So you wasted 300 bucks.
0: Yeah. You know, I think part of it is too. not even the money. It's like they've done all this work. Sometimes it's been years. They get it done and they're exhausted. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. You're like, hey, we'll have people beta read it. No, 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 no. Why wouldn't you? You know, you've gone this far because they're like, what if it's no good? And it's almost like they don't want to know. Yeah. You know, I don't want to fix the typos, man. I just want to be done. But it's like you're six inches from goal. Right. And you stop digging. And I get it. I, I get it. I've had podcasts where, you know, it's like there's glitches. You know, I know I got to go back one more time, but I really want it to be done. Right. I get it. But just go through one more time. If you work this hard, get it right. Yeah, you know?
3: exactly. If you're on the one yard line, and, 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 you know, this is your Super Bowl, one yard line, you know, fourth down. Don't scrimp. If it's gonna cost you a thousand dollars more to have it professionally edited and proved, spend it. This is the only thing that's gonna give you a chance. Because if you don't do this, you have zero chance. Zero. I'm telling you, you're not gonna be able to take a, a poorly structured, poorly formatted, poor syntax grammar, uh, manuscript, upload it to Amazon and think you're gonna sell books. You're not, you're never going to. You're out of your mind. So, right. I mean, it's they want to be done so bad. If they've already spent all this money, I like it when I catch the guy, like I just did this Christian author who do his books for him. I don't have to do damage control. We get you now. We'll do it right.
0: Yeah. Get in there first. You don't have to market an ugly baby. Yes, exactly. You can fix it. You know, it's different than like, yeah, oh, it's good. Just market me. Yeah, you know, no, you're like, oh, yeah. oh, I know this isn't as good as it should be. And now you're stuck marketing something that yes. you, you really don't want to show
3: people. Yeah. Or you don't want to endorse. As a professional writing coach, which I am, and an author of 10 novels, you know, and I have a show about books and authors, I'm going to give you the best advice that I can to give you your best chance at success. And it's not going to be because I'm trying to upsell you and get your money. In fact, you know, the money part is not even that big of a deal. I just want to see you succeed. So I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. You might not want to hear it, but you need to hear it. This is your only chance of succeeding as an author. Like, even to be a king. I know there's a few typos in to be a king. We were kind of rushed to publish it. If I had to do it over, I'd go back and polish it even more. But, you know, first one, I think it could have been better in hindsight, you know.
0: Yeah, but you were just getting into it when those came out.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know.
0: Yeah, that, that, was, a, that was a long time ago. <laughs>
3: yeah, six and a half years ago. This, the whole self-publishing, like, phenomena the scam part of it was relatively new. They were still scamming everybody, but there was only a handful of these, like, what they call vanity publishers, quote, vanity. And now they're
0: everywhere. And you see these ads all over Facebook, and it's, it's just scam after scam after scam. Plus, you know, even the money aside for them, it's their legacy, man. You put your heart and soul into exactly. this thing. It's going to be around long after you're gone. Your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, yeah. they're going to have this. Yeah.
3: Make it good. Make it good. (laughs) Don't shortchange yourself. And with that, I think we've got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with our first guest at 1010 The King, Our Thing.
4: Hey, have you checked out Our Thing Apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live, featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out ourthingapparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make our thing your thing.
0: What's up, Atlanta? It's Bill Crooks from Art Thing Radio Show. Gunnar and I love showcasing creative talent, regardless of the medium. That's why we're really excited about Atlanta Stitchworks Custom Upholstery. It's Georgia's premier custom shop for all your interior needs. Serving you with 16 years of experience and quality, they truly are second to none. My good friend Fernando Moreno and team will help you bring your dreams and ideas to reality. They specialize in handmade interiors for hot rods, low riders cars, trucks, baggers, choppers, and of course, Marines. They'll even handle your audio and window tinting. Any material, any design, anything you want. Tailor-made for you at Atlanta Stitchworks. For free estimates, please call 404-503-3949. 404-503-3949. That's 404-503-3949. Or if you're shy, just email atlantastitchworks at gmail.com. They'll take great care of you. Just tell them Bill and Gunner sent you.
2: Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get
3: a free bonus. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. What's up? Welcome back to our thing on 1010 10, the King. Now I'd like to welcome to my show our show our next guest, Abby Allison. Abby's in Belize, so if you're hearing a little bit of a lag and a little bit of spotty in the audio, it's not Bill's fault. <laughs> it's not <laughs> our fault. Bill does the editing, that's why I say it. She's just got spotty internet, so please be patient. Have a little backstory on her real quickly, and I'll let her get into her own story. But my wife is kind of a um, jack-of-all-trades of everything that I do, but she kind of screens guests and prepares me for them, gives me the backstory and all this. Now, keep in mind, my wife is a huge reader, and she's a Christian reader, and she's a huge, like, everything reading, what, right? So, she came to me and said, this girl is incredibly well-written, good as I've it. ever seen, and her story, the characters, everything is really good. Now, coming from my wife, that means a lot. That holds a lot of weight. So, mm-hmm. I was really excited to talk to you about this. So, welcome to the show, Abby. Tell us a little about where you're from or you know, where you originated. You got a bit of a, a traveler's journey and then where you ended up and how old you are mm-hmm. very young. And then how you got into writing this genre. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So I'm 19. I'm actually a TCI, a third culture individual. It basically means I wasn't raised very much in the culture of my parents. So I'm kind of culturally homeless, but I've had a mix of cultures that I've experienced since I haven't been in any country longer than five years. But there's been perks to it because I've been able to meet new people. and have new experiences and all these different things. I'm originally from Jamaica. But I left when I was very young.
3: So where do you live now? And tell me a little about you in school. Who were you in high school?
1: I did a mix of homeschool and public school. For grade school, I went to public school, but homeschool was high school.
3: My wife guessed that, by the way. She literally said, I bet you was homeschooled. She did.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because with the traveling, you kind of have to have that mix. You move a lot, so... You have to do your schooling online and stuff like that.
3: Was one your, of your parents in the military or anything? Is that why you moved a lot or no?
1: There's a term for that. So people move a lot for different reasons. We moved for school reasons. My father was pursuing his education. So he went to universities abroad and stuff like that. So we came along with him.
3: Well, he raised you to be very smart, clearly, <laughs> which is impressive. And God bless his soul. I wish I could give him a hug right now because it sounds like he did a really good job.
1: <laughs> Thank you. So
3: I'm assuming you were a raised Christian.
1: Yes, I was. Born in
3: the church. But going back to who you were in high school, were you kind of a bookworm? Were you an athlete? Were you a, you know, a cheerleader? What were you?
1: I love reading and I love music as well. So those are my interests. When I was young, I used to cry to go to the library because I just love books and reading and everything that has to do with that.
3: Well, that's the reason my wife was able to kind of align with you because she was the same thing. She was a book nerd, and was not, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, she was that person in high school. She read every book in her library like twice. I mean, she was yeah. just crazy book reader. Yeah, she was like you, and you were like her, which is crazy. So when you do that, I think not only does that kind of self-educate you mm-hmm. um, and you absorb the format and the general formula to tell a great story and how to build characters yeah. and, the, and the general news of being a writer you kind of through osmosis almost just from reading a lot of books yes. you absorb the process because there is a general formula that every great story has it's yeah. se- like six, seven elements and if you write from those elements in the right order you can make a great story if you have a great imagination mm-hmm. which sounds like you do <laughs> so when did you start writing?
1: In the lockdown of 2020 because in the country I'm in right now there's not a huge emphasis on public literature or libraries so I decided to write books for myself to read but then I decided it'd be more fulfilling to share it and more of a blessing to others to share it put it out there for other people to enjoy as well so yeah I just, just decided to sit down and write in the lockdown of 2020 because there was lots of time to do it and I decided it'd be nice to go into that avenue right there
3: so you started writing for yourself, which is amazing. You started writing these stories more for yourself than realize this would be more fun to like actually share this and publish these books. And you know, yeah, out so what inspired you originally to write? Did you have maybe a spiritual epiphany, a moment in time where you're like, there was a story fell into your brain. What was your process? Like what, what happened where you're just like, you know what, I'm gonna start writing this story right now.
1: So as I said, I loved reading. And I read a lot of books where it ended a certain way. And I was like, what if I was able to write a book like this and really choose how it would go and how it would end up. And it was crazy because it was one Friday night for this book in particular, I was just like, how about I do this? It was crazy because I just finished writing a seven-part series. It's called Old Testament Odyssey, and I wanted to take a break from writing. But I just couldn't let go of the idea of writing this particular Bible story of this book that I'm going to be talking about, because I was just interested in the story of Joseph and Azneth and how that would play out. What if? And I wanted to see where that would take me. Hey, Bill, could you
3: imagine meeting this girl at, at 19 years old? <laughs> like no, this she'd kid.
0: have nothing to do with me. That's for sure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Probably not, nah, but I she would have been intimidating, you know, just that smart, you know. So,
0: Abby, when you did Old Testament Odyssey, those are actually three books, right?
1: Actually, it's a series. It's seven part series, and I just published three so far.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, because I yeah. see Noah, Abraham, and Moses.
1: Yeah, the others like Esther and Daniel.
3: So, this is fantastic stuff, Bill. I'm so proud of this girl. Uh-huh. You're doing so much better than I ever did at your age. You know what I mean?
0: Right. And I'm looking at her body of work right here, and it's just impressive. I mean, there's so yeah.
3: many. So, tell us about the book that you wrote. The name of it what it's about.
1: Okay, so she saw him humbly exalted It is based on the entire story of Joseph as recorded in Genesis 37 to 50. But the story is mainly told through Asenath's point of view as it's reflected in the title itself, she saw him humbly exalted. So basically Asenath is the daughter of high priest Potiphar who's a very powerful, very influential Egyptian man and throughout the story she really goes through a lot of character development. Because in the beginning, she's um, unladylike. she pushes boundaries, she thinks aloud quite a lot unintentionally, which creates sticky situations she does not care about because she is literally untouchable because her father is a high priest and her family is of the elite class. So it's really quite the meetup when she meets Joseph in a marketplace and on her home city, where he's to be sold as a slave, as we all know, the lowest possible rung on the social ladder. And he doesn't look like he was born a slave at all or meant to be one but basically joseph is just one huge enigma to her that only serves to intrigue her and unfortunately others later on will become intrigued in him as well seek for his downfall physically morally and at one point even in the book she finds her life in danger because of him But in a nutshell, to describe Azneth, she's simply an opinionated young woman surrounded by secrets and dreams and jealousy and all those different things. But through it all, there's this underlying curiosity she has to know about Joseph and his past and his God and who his God really is. And those are lessons that she comes to learn. And some are harder to learn than others. Wow.
0: How did you become this biblical savant? How did that get instilled in you?
1: (laughs) Um, reading the Bible in itself is pretty entertaining because there's lots going on there and I just what if all the facts happen in this way and it'd just be interesting to see it play out instead of just You know, reading it like that, but to put a whole world and to really go into the story and see how it happens through the person's eyes, it would just be very interesting. And so I just decided to do that. Did a lot of research, biblical and historical, to make it really be realistic. And it was just fun. But
0: was it your parents that put this knowledge of the Bible in your radar?
1: Well, yeah, since I grew up Christian. But writing the books and stories in itself was my idea, kind of, because I love writing and reading So it just was an idea that I came up with to actually write about stories like this.
3: You grew up in the church, so it was like the Bible's kind of second nature. Obviously, your parents did a really good job of helping you learn the Bible, God, your faith, having faith. Let me ask you this. I'm super fascinated by this, Bill. I'm just absolutely kind of numbed by this. I'm shell-shocked that this young girl can do this. So would you categorize this story in a a non-biblical sense, a bit of a love story? It sounds like it is.
1: Yes, because when you look at the story, you see that as to Joseph when he became prime minister, right before he used to become prime minister. But really, this is about the journey before that. That's a huge role in part one, because I think there's like three parts in there. Of course, that plays a role. But the beginning of that is really when she was 14 and a tomboy. And they really had to work through that and really character development, grow up in that environment and all that entailed.
3: What was the environment like back then? I love all this because you have to recreate this universe. Yeah, It's based on the Bible, but like your imagination is now taking it 10 steps further. Kind of like the show The Chosen, but more detailed and more in-depth and more, I guess, focused on these couple of characters and their love story and their nuance and the environment and all this is incredible because it actually recreates reality in that time. And I think because you're a great writer with imagination, That's where you're going to stand out as a writer, be very successful. But what was it like at the time? Like, how would you describe that environment? She's a tomboy, a little bit of a outspoken girl. And then along comes Joseph. And she's kind of, I don't want to say smitten by him, but she's fascinated by him. And she wants to know more about him.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. She's more fascinated. She's more intrigued and curious about who he is because he's beyond anything she's seen before or experienced. And he's kind of aloof he's not very outspoken like she is, obviously. So he's very quiet and reserved. And he, he has this enigma, a lot of secrets that she wants to know for curiosity.
3: Now, these secrets, are these the secrets of the fact that God has spoken to him? Or what, what are these secrets? His whole story?
1: Yes, his background, his past. He doesn't want to share any of it where he is from, because to be sold by your own family is something so serious, so Shocking, so jarring that he is very hard for him to open up about it to cool. anybody, much less her.
0: Plus, it's traumatic. There has to be some right. PTSD involved. Yeah, in when
1: you...
0: yeah, nobody wants to
3: talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like my family sold me into slavery, tried to kill me, and then sold me in slavery.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, plus, he probably doesn't know who to trust.
1: Oh, uh, yes, that's a good point as well.
3: So she is the daughter of a high priest. And where is Joseph at this point in life?
1: So they meet first in a marketplace where he is going to be sold as a slave. Okay, And so he is really at the lowest that he can possibly be. And here she is really taking for granted her high position in society, but she sees him as slave and she has this compassion for all of the slaves there. But of course she's intrigued with him as well, who he is and where he's from. But she sees all these slaves in the marketplace and she realizes that something is going on here. She's been sheltered. So she doesn't really know all what slaves go through or anything. So she tries to help little ways that she can and really goes from there because Captain Potiphar, who we all know bought Joseph as a slave, decided to also take Asenath into his household to be his kind of a student under his wife to learn how to be more her age and at her station and life. So that's how they actually come together.
3: Bill, I don't know my Bible that well. I'm getting glimpses of this, <laughs> piecing it together, but now I really want to read this. Oh, whatever.
0: <laughs> well, you know the story of Joseph, right? He got yeah. thrown in a pit. His father loved mm-hmm. him the best, so brothers jacked him up. He ends up a slave. I think he ends up in prison where he deciphers yeah. dreams of another guy, Potiphar, right? Yeah. And then that guy ends up working for Pharaoh, and yeah, then he's like, "Hey, I know who can decipher your dreams." And the
3: rest That is Potiphar him. thinks he's, this guy's awesome. So he puts him in charge of his court yes. and his household. And then he does an amazing job. And so he becomes like the second highest person in the kingdom under Potiphar. When he reaches this level of stature in society, and where is she at this point?
1: When he becomes prime minister? Yeah. First of all, when he was in prison, it all leads up to where she'd never thinks she will see him ever again. But somehow her family ends up in the palace at the same time when Joseph is going to be promoted. And that's really when pharaoh helps he has a part in that reunion kind of so that's when he brings them together for them to be married and as you know there was a famine that was going to come so they had to work on that so
3: when he has this thing and pharaoh brings him in and they happen to be there too because he's the daughter of the high priest It'd been some time since they last saw each other like this story is all the trappings of like a true a romance story like it's almost like a romance novel really this powerful beautiful love i'm a sucker for romance
1: yeah and it's crazy because it's biblical and the bible is actually full of these kind of stories you wouldn't expect it to be but it's it's really great material for books like these in the bible itself
3: is one of the greatest stories ever told like I, I can't believe there hasn't been a big
0: blockbuster movie made out of the story well there has it was joseph and the technicolor dream coat right
1: <laughs> i remember seeing that yes i don't know <laughs> yeah it's a musical
0: is
3: it mm-hmm. i didn't know so before we go tell us really quickly what your plans are for the future you're very prolific in your writing. You're going to continue mm-hmm. this series. What is going to be the next character that you build from? What's the next story? I'm excited about it.
1: There's many, but one of them, her name is Jessie. At the first part of the book, she's young, but also she grows up with each part of the series. Each book is a different age. And so she goes through her character development. She is the daughter of a professor of a Christian institute. And so she meets an atheist beating like herself that she tries to witness to but they also go back in time to different eras of the bible and they learn lessons together as well so it's kind of a sci-fi time travel yes it has that time travel element in there
3: that's cool i like that you can write the rest of your life like uh, on the bible to be honestly you could pick characters from the bible and write books on each one of them by recreating their yeah. universe their culture and society their time and then have it directly point to the bible through the story, and directly point to Christ through the Bible. So all of this leads up to one thing, Jesus. That's the mission of your books, yes, to point to Jesus. Yeah. Well, I suggest you keep doing it because there's so many characters in the Bible you could write the rest of your life. And I'm hoping that you sell millions of books, become a bestseller, something huge. I feel like you are one of those people in the world that actually have the talent and the Holy Spirit and the wherewithal to really do anything, do anything. That's how I feel about you. You agree, Bill?
0: This is the girl I want my son to
3: marry. Yeah, of course. This is the <laughs> girl we all want our sons to marry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
3: Yes, Abby. How can they find you? This is incredible because I feel like what you write is powerful and useful and it needs to be put out there. And if young adults can get exposed to the Holy Spirit and God and the Word and these biblical stories, it can plant seeds that could grow into massive trees, you know? And I feel like we need more young people like you to do this. And uh Who knows? If I would have met you when I was 19, it would have probably changed my life. I wouldn't be in prison. You know what I'm saying? Bill, you too, you would have had a much easier life if you ended up dating someone like this when we were a teenager. Yeah,
0: but someone like this would see us coming a mile away and uh, across the street.
1: What you guys (laughs) do is is amazing. I'm very impressed with the platform that you have to reach authors. Yeah, it's really great. Thank
3: you. We're trying. We're trying. I think our mission is just getting started. We got a plan. Yeah, but anyways, where can they find you? Do you have social media? Tell us where they can find your books. What do you
1: got? Yes, Amazon Author Central. You can follow me on Amazon and also think I have for my author name, I have an X account for anybody who would be interested in looking at any updates or anything that would interest them and Facebook and all under the name Abby Allison. Yeah. Abby
0: Allison. The other thing is all your covers are really cool. Do you do those covers? Yes,
1: I love doing covers. There's a free tool, Canva. And so I just got really into creating book covers and stuff like that.
0: Fantastic artwork and just compositions on the covers. Really great job.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
3: I'm looking at them right now. Make sure to check out her books, The Old Testament Odyssey, about Abraham, Moses, Noah. Just check this girl out, man. Anybody who's a reader and into Christian writing, or even if you're not into Christian writing, you just like good fiction stories, you could probably love this story regardless if you're a Christian or not. But if you're not a Christian, give it a shot. You might be when you're done. So, Abby very impressed by you. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Don't stop writing. Write more. Stay focused. Give your parents a hug for me and say that Gunner and Bill said, well done. <laughs> yeah.
1: God bless you too.
3: We will have to have you on again. Talk about your next book. For now, Bill, I think we have to take a quick break. Stay tuned on 1010 The King. It's our thing.
4: Writing a book can be fulfilling and rewarding, but often the biggest challenge is getting it published. Yet, self publishing for print, ebook, and audiobook can be a daunting process, and then you have to market and sell it. White Pine Publishing and Consultants can help you with all of that and more. We're not a traditional publisher. We're a consulting and services company that assists you with all aspects of self publishing your book, including ghostwriting, coaching, editing, proofing, formatting, marketing and sales, and even web design. Visit our website at whitepinepublishing.com to learn more about our services and get in touch. With White Pine's integrity, industry knowledge, and experience, you can let us do all the hard work so that you don't have to. Check out all of our self-publishing services, pricing, and author testimonials at whitepinepublishing.com.
1: How would you like to get a free $100 prepaid MasterCard and save money on your television bill? Then call right now. Make the switch to Dish TV. For a limited time, we're offering a two-year price guarantee. That's important for those of you on a fixed budget to know your prices won't go up for two years. Plus, you have hundreds of channels, lots of live news and sports, movies, and more. And when you call right now, you can also ask about our discounts for seniors and those of you in the military. So, make the switch to Dish right now. Pick up the phone and call. Enjoy your television like you are meant to. And when you sign up today, we'll also give you a $100 free prepaid MasterCard. Call right now. Ask about our senior discount, our military discount, and your free $100 prepaid MasterCard.
2: 800-795-5573. 800-795-5573. 800-795-5573. That's 800-795-5573. Paid for by NPS. Switch
0: to Dish TV today for your free prepaid MasterCard.
3: Well, welcome to the show. My next guest, Mike Simmons. Interesting guy, friends with my wife. You won't hear me say that very often about a man, but uh, he's a good guy. She speaks really highly of him. Talented guy, very smart and uh, handsome, too. Uh, So now I see, and now I got something to worry about. I'm just saying. (laughs) So, Mike is a consultant, kind of a sales consultant, sales manager, sales expert, sales guru. And my wife has worked in sales. She worked with him. In fact, I think they worked together at MIT. So kind of a big deal. They worked at MIT together. You know, tell us about what you do and how you could make me a salesman.
2: So I never wanted to get into sales. I had no interest in getting into sales. And part of the reason I didn't want to get into sales is because I do not have a good relationship with my dad. He was very different in the house versus when I saw him with clients. And I was like, this is just what salespeople are. They sh- schmooze, they tell stories or bullshit in front of people. And then when the room's closed, everything changes. So I avoided sales and I got into ops. I was in operations at UPS, did that for a number of years, then moved into today what they call customer success, implementation success, doing like technical implementations on the business side in ed tech and enablement tech. So that's how I've kind of got connected in that space where Maria and I met <gasps> over at MIT, but got a background in that education technology, enablement technology space. So I did some of that and still didn't move into sales until... A couple of years into the time that I was at a company called Skillsoft, you start to realize what professional sales is, like B2B professional sales, where you're closing six, seven, in some cases, eight figure deals, and what that looks like and how much goes into that. It's not the one conversation, it's the one conversation over and over and over and over. And you're navigating and you're basically putting together a org chart that looks like either a serial killer layout or a mob layout. You can look at both of those, but you basically have all of these connections. You know who's connected to who, who's doing what, why they're doing it, what they care about, why they care about it, where they wanna go, what they've done before. And you do all of this research and then you pull it together and you close big deals. And then those commission checks are, you just move that decimal point over. Instead of 1,500, you're looking at 15K or 150K in commission checks because you're closing these really big deals. So that's the side of sales that I got into after not wanting to be in sales. And I think all of that experience has made me as good at sales as I am, and as good at helping other people get really good at it, specifically the people who don't ever want to get into it. Like the ones who don't think of themselves as the hustler, the person who's going to just keep grinding away and it's going to kind of figure things out. There are a lot of people that are out there that like solving problems and they like building puzzles and they like putting things together and like helping people. And sales can be an amazing professional for those folks.
3: See, I think you could give me just about any product, even something mildly technical, parking it back to your time at MIT. All I need is a week or two of training, right? And then the process, and then I would build that family depth chart with the, what do they want? Why do they want it? When do they want it? What's the need? What's the value versus cost? I would do all that and then go in there and I would close. That's what you teach, right?
2: Yeah. And it's not even about the closing. That's what a lot of people want to know. They're like, hey, how do I close? There's multiple closes that are happening. It's It's not like you go in there and you're like, hey, what's it going to take to get you into this thing today? Each of those closes is a conversion. And yes, you can absolutely make those conversions. And it happens anywhere. You're converting someone from doing something that they're doing today to something you'd like to see them do tomorrow. or. Uh, You're working with kids, you're converting them from not cleaning up their room to cleaning up their room or not studying to studying. Like these are all conversions that are happening where you're compelling somebody to take action, to do something different. And Gunnar, I firmly believe anybody is interested in selling, wants to do it, I can teach them really to sell anything, anything that they're actually interested in. And it doesn't matter if the thing that you're interested in is cars or plumbing or siding or software or whatever it is. But if you're interested and you get excited about it, you can transfer that energy to somebody else because you're passionate. You know what questions to ask. You start to help them envision a world where they're in a better place because they're now in that car, or they now have that siding, or they now have those windows, or they now have whatever that is that's going to bump pump up the value of their home, make them feel more safe when they're driving around, make them feel more comfortable relative to how they're operating the business because of the software. So I firmly believe like that chef in Ratatouille, anybody can cook, I believe anybody can sell. You got to be interested in it though.
3: Yeah. You got my mind thinking. Everything is a conversion. And like you said, in life, and there's steps to the close. So now I'm also thinking about literally while you're talking and I was listening, but I'm thinking, like, dude, I need to do like a master class for working out. You know, I'm a kind of a meathead muscle guy. I've been working out my whole life. I have a Patreon, and I should just charge people fifty bucks a month to be in my Patreon. And like three or four times a week, I just go down in the gym in the basement and say, I'm going to show you how to get in shape. And if I can sell them on the value of this fifty dollar investment, then I get some money.
2: Yeah. Well, and here's the cool thing about sales when you're a professional, when you do it well, and you kind of, you feel it. Some people just have this innate ability to be able to do it. They can read people. They understand what they're trying to do. They can kind of tug at their heartstrings and what they're looking to do. They can also tug at their insecurities and what they want to overcome, all of those things. Now, the challenge is you can be really manipulative if you do that. So ideally you use this skill, this capability to help people do things that are good and you give the weight training thing as an example because you know the racket with gyms they want you in there at you know 19 bucks a month or nine bucks a month or 49 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month whatever the number is that they want you in at. and all they really care about is you get it you sign it they don't deeply care about your health and fitness and where you want to go but they know that when you come in there, you're buying into the dream, the vision that when I walk by the mirror, damn, I look good. When I see somebody, they're like, damn, you look good. You're looking good. Bro. Wife comes over and pat you on the rear end, like you're looking tight. Like all of those things. That's what they're trying to get
0: you excited about. Right. But at the end of the day, if you pay for a two-year membership and never go, that's good for them. That's their goal. Well, they don't care about that stuff. They want you to highlight the vision.
2: They could give a sh- about whether or not you come in the door because they did what they needed to do. They got you to sign up and it's really hard.
3: Well, they prefer that you don't come in the door. So you come in the door, you use resources. Their goal is to sign you up, get the money. They just keep charging their credit card year after year after year.
2: Up until you change the credit card because they're so hard to get out of. Yet there's a good way to do this stuff. Like you can take what you know about the person on the other end, which is they have hopes and they have dreams they have desires, they have pain that they're looking to overcome. And if you know what those things are, you can help them. You can show them a way. You can guide them, deliver a plan that helps lead to success and avoid failure. And if you do that really well, you can help people solve some really amazing problems and feel really good about doing it and make a ton of money doing it too.
3: Like you said, if you can find a niche where you're actually doing good and you're selling something that does benefit the client or customer or whatever, that's the ultimate job. That's the ultimate goal. If I can sell something I love and help people at the same time, that's the ultimate close, in my opinion.
2: I think a mistake a lot of people make out there, at least a lot of people I run into, and I made this mistake early on and I, I keep getting better at it. Jim Collins says it in the foreword to The Effective Executive, which is the Drucker book. It's a stop what you would not start. Well, if I'm out there doing a bunch of stuff that I would not start again, I've got to figure out a way to stop it. I've got to figure out a way either to outsource it or eliminate it from the work that I'm doing. You don't know what you would not start again until you at least do something. So you still have to go out there and test. So you got to go out and test and enjoy time on the river or enjoy time on the golf course or enjoy time driving around cars or riding bikes or whatever the thing is. Once you get out there and get experience, then you look at it and say, does this give me energy or not? Does it suck the life out of me? If it sucks the life out of me, I want to stop doing it. Like I hate being stuck in meetings talking about the same things over and over and over and over again. That stuff drains me. I do not do the work that I do so that I could wear a suit to work. I do the work that I do so I could throw on a hoodie, a pair of rainbows, flip-flops from San Clemente, and board shorts and work in that kind of environment. So I organize around that. and People can do that if they re- reflect and have clarity around what it is that they want. You've got to know what you want before you can start doing all of those things. And the way that I've figured that out over time is by just doing more, doing more testing, putting myself out there to yeah. go and try different things.
3: I'm with you. So now you're at this stage in your career you for some big companies and yeah. been successful at everything you do. You don't want to work for the man. So you have your own company, you're a consultant. So tell us exactly what you do as a consultant and so you own catalyst x that's the name of your consulting company yeah so that's the
2: consulting practice it used to be catalyst sales so when maria and i first met <gasps> and i was working with mit as a fractional go-to-market leader so basically helping them build out sales process test product and then hire sales reps and then sales leaders constantly trying to hire myself out of a job the type of stuff that i do now focused on leadership culture revenue and execution those four pillars so they're all deeply related inside organizations and helping people get better at the things they want to do and do that faster. So the thing they want to do, like if you want to get really good at sales, I can do some training and coaching and all of that kind of stuff designed that will help you get better at sales. The thing that I'm putting a lot of attention into and put taking on a lot of risk or relative to the business, is addressing the leadership and culture challenges that we see in many of the companies. A lot of people are leaving companies because they don't care for the leadership that they're working for. They don't feel like they fit in. They don't feel like they're making an impact.
3: Or appreciated.
2: Or appreciated. And I believe that the reason why they don't feel that is because they struggle with leading self. They struggle with taking ownership of things like problem-solving and decision-making goal-setting and execution, effective communication.
3: Now, this is the employee, not the, the leader.
2: That's right. I'd say when the employee starts leading self better, getting better at problem-solving and decision-making, goal-setting and execution and communication, they will interact with others in the team better, Because they're a good leader of self, they'll interact with members of the team better, the teams will perform better, their customers will perform better, the organization will perform better, and everything will grow. So
3: that's when their value goes up, their appreciation goes up.
2: Well, I think what's going to end up happening, though, is once they go through it, they'll realize. I'm working for a really bad leader yeah. and it doesn't matter how much I do or what I do, I'm never going to be appreciated. This is not the fit for me, but now I've got the confidence to go someplace else and that's it. It's, I've got the confidence to go someplace else to build my own thing. So I work with people to help get them better at those things in the context of self, in the context of teams, and then the context of organizations.
3: Well, that's pretty amazing. I need you to help me uh, with all of that.
2: <laughs> what do you struggle with? What do you need help with? give me something.
3: All of it, really, because I didn't even start a business till I was 44 years old, right? I didn't know anything about marketing, didn't know anything about sales, didn't know anything about... Hey, networking is, is huge. If, if you can put me in a room full of players and give me some time with them, I'm going to make contacts and network with them. But if I don't have access to them, it's almost impossible because when I say, hey, this is my story, you know, I'm Gunner. I spent 13 years in prison. I was a mafia associate. Now I write novels and I have this idea for a business and all they hear is Thirteen years in prison, mafia, gangster. I don't, you know. They're like, I'm good. I don't want, you know. So I, th- I can present you with a multi million dollar deal, like my apparel company or something. And but they don't hear it. They, they're just like, oh, who wants to go in business with a scumbag?
2: But Gunnar, then they're not the right fit right? That's not the right fit. You're going to be wasting time, energy, resources, trying to convince them to be the right fit. So what you do is you start to look at it and say, okay, well, who is the right fit? Who has stories like this? Who supports? You do. And there are other people out there who've gone through whatever it is that they've gone through. Like they might fund people who have a certain background or they might've come from that certain background, whatever that thing is. One way is to go funding. The other way to go through it is make the money yourself. So you just kind of grind away and you make the money yourself and you do it by figuring out okay, what's the specific problem that I can solve for in the marketplace that exists that is so high valued from the perspective of the person who has the problem that they will pay, that We're they'll pay, pay to solve this. They'll pay me to solve something that actually comes naturally to me and is easy for me to do, is simple. I just see it because I understand the patterns. They'll pay me because they've not been able to solve that on their side. Now, the struggle is sometimes people will think that they're just going to be able to figure it out, especially once you start to show them the path. The challenge is a lot of people don't want to do the work. They'll quit a little bit too early. They don't have the the resilience. They won't grind through it.
3: Just like fitness, same thing. I can teach you how to get in shape, but if you're not willing to put in the work, it doesn't matter.
2: Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I was an absolute jackass to my body. I was eating brownies, cookies, anything that was cooked that had carbs in the house was disappearing. Quickly, and now I'm doing carnivore for since the beginning of the year, which is you know now we're going to get like religious on the diet side. You know, people will go keto, people will go fasting. There's so many different ways to work through this. Having the discipline to stay to it and make better decisions when confronted by right. those things. Because if I'm tired late at night, I have a couple of drinks. I'm tired and I've got a couple of drinks in me, then my decision-making capability is crap.
3: Right. Uh, I can eat a brownie. Eh.
2: That's it. I can eat one, but well, I ate one, Why not another one. Like
3: those kind of things. So we know right. what to do. It applies to business too, though. It's like, if you need to get things done, but you're like, eh, I'll do it tomorrow or whatever.
2: It all does. So to get back to that piece that you were talking about, there's a couple of different ways to go through the process of making money. And it, and it really what it comes down to is that fair value exchange. And you've got to remember that value is in the eye of the beholder. Value is the person who wants the windows in that house or wants the siding on the house, they're the one who's going to have the perception of value relative to what is going to happen when that stuff goes in there. And if for whatever reason, they look at it and they're like, look, I'm only going to be in this house for a couple of years. I won't even be able to pay off the windows. I'll let somebody else do that for the next one. You know, Whatever thing is, that's going to be a much harder conversation than the person who's in there saying, you know what? This is my forever home. Over the course of the next 25 30 years i'm going to more than pay for these windows by putting them in here it's going to increase efficiency like those are completely different conversations and the professional salesperson the one who works at the, honing their craft can tell the difference immediately between those two people in those first couple of questions they ask.
3: And also how to alter the pitch from there. Now, if somebody said that to me, I'm going to say, listen, it's a $6,000 job for your windows and you're going to maybe sell the house in a year or two. But listen, you put the $6,000 windows in now, the value of your home goes up twelve fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 immediately in the appraisal. So now you double your money the day we're done with the job. So you're always countering them with the value.
2: Right. So you got to listen and you got to pick up on those cues and then you can go ahead and counter. And some of them may just say, Hey, you know what? It just isn't for me. Then you got to decide how much time you want to put in there. Right. So on the problem solving stuff, I think where people really struggle with this is they do not have a problem solving framework that they apply to solving problems. They just kind of go in there and they're like, what's the problem. I'm going to go in there and fix it. I got a hammer. I'm going to go bang away at this nail. And they just jump right from what to how, and they forget to ask some other questions around like, how do I actually defined the problem clearly? Do I know who has the problem, who's impacted by the problem, who cares about it? Why does it persist? Why is the problem still out there? Why is it important to solve? What's the business impact? If I've got what, who, and why, and I know those, then I've earned the right to get into how. If I go through a tool set like this to help simplify the way that I approach problems, I'll reduce the risk associated with spending too much time trying to solve problems that don't matter, trying to solve problems that aren't important. So anyway, this is the kind of stuff that I do with, again, people teams, organizations, and have just started building out the speaking side of the business. I want to do this in front of larger groups, like get up, combination of stage and some of the facilitated discussion, working on that kind of stuff.
3: Share your knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill, guys like this and Abby Allison make me feel stupid. (laughs) Makes me feel inferior because, you know, there's so much more to all of this. You have to have a natural gift for it. Clearly, that's his gift. My co-host, Bill, is a problem solver and he's a tech guy, but he's good at everything. You know what I'm saying? So you're good at that. I'm good as a writer. I can talk as a host, thing like that, content creator. But you're good at consulting, teaching people how to build businesses to solve problems. This is the cool thing
2: about working with multiple people. You take Bill's skills, you take your skills, you take my skills, you pull them together and there's not a problem or a challenge that we can't overcome. Like we could solve it. We can design around the solution and then we could go out there and get after it and get the work done. And that's the cool part about simplifying things like communication is you bring people together. You use tools and frameworks like that kind of stuff. I like puzzles. I like building things. I like breaking things apart and putting them back together, that kind of stuff. Like
0: So does Bill. Yeah, yeah, it's coming out. So,
3: anyways, close up by telling them where they could find you, whether it's social media, your website, anything. If people are interested in your services, your consulting, let us know.
2: Yeah. So, if you're struggling with achieving the results you want to achieve for whatever reason, or something getting in the way. Go to findmycatalyst.com. Find my catalyst. Find my Go to that website, findmycatalyst.com. You'll see things organized around individuals if you're going there for self, teams if you're going in there to look for your organization. The specific topic areas that I focus on are leadership, culture, revenue, execution. And it's all about simplifying those things so that people can do better, be better, and feel fulfilled in the work that they're doing. And they will. Uh, We just have to empower and enable them with tools to be able to do this kind of stuff so that people don't feel less than or inferior around things. Like We talked about it. Some people are really good at the sales stuff. Some people are really good at the problem solving. Some people are really good at the YouTube stuff. Uh, Check it out. And guys, thanks for having me on.
3: That's great. Yeah, our pleasure. Stop talking to my wife, though, when I'm not around. I'm just saying. I'm just kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've been married 25 years.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's what they all say when they're (laughs) trying to your wife. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: kidding,
3: man. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, So, uh, for now, I guess that's the end of the show. That's another one in the books of our thing on 1010 The King. God bless. Have a safe week. Come back. See you next week on Friday morning drive time. We out.